Oregon fans are hoping that Bo Nix playing for Oregon this year is in a better overall situation in terms of the team around him compared to what he had in previous years at Auburn. Is that really the case? We talked to an Auburn expert, Zach Blackerby, the host of the Locked On Auburn Tigers podcast. Coming up today on Locked On Ducks, here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view. If you're watching on YouTube every day, it's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks every single weekday. And why is it so great that you're here on the Locked On Network with us? Because we've got a whole consortium of hosts with with whom I have access to. True. I was going for way too big a words there. Zach Blackerby, the host of the Locked On Auburn podcast. But when we're talking all things Bo Nix, I'm looking for a perennial expert. And I look no further than a guy who has hosted Locked On Auburn for several years now, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. You left out a part of your resume. You left out Athletic Green's um connoisseur that's true that's true i did i did indeed leave that out of of my resume and my my overall persona but we're not primarily here to talk about athletic greens we're here to talk about auburn tigers former quarterback and now oregon duck bo nicks so i want to start here because anthony brown last year caused a lot of controversy amongst Oregon fans. Ty Thompson should have been playing and we should have just gone with a young guy and I, and all, all this sort of stuff. And I think a lot of people in retrospect now look at Anthony Brown and say, boy, how many places would he even have started in the Pac-12 last year? How many places would he start in the Pac-12 this year? It may not be as many as, as some perhaps would like to think, particularly on the previous coaching staff. So in your view, if Bo Nix had stayed at Auburn this year and they'd still brought in Robbie Ashford from the Ducks and they have the other guys in that quarterback room, do you think he would have been the starter for the Tigers and Brian Harson? I think so. I, I think you'd have a hard time benching a guy who would be going into what I guess is fourth year starting in the SEC. I, I just don't think you could really move on from that. Now, don't get me wrong. There would be a... a, a I would I would probably say fifty percent of the fan base that would be livid if Bo Nix would be the guy going into this season. Um, I don't think that's entirely fair. I do get some of the concerns uh, in, in this hypothetical scenario, but I don't think it would have been that much different than it was a year ago. I mean, there was a ton of folks when T.J. Finley transferred from LSU to Auburn, where they wanted. They wanted T.J. Finley to beat out Bo Nix, and they were so excited that he finally had some competition and a competition that he would have to win. And then there was speculation, like, was it ever really a competition? And and I don't think it was. But um, in short, yes. Yeah, if he was still at Auburn, he would be the starter. So Oregon has gotten, in your view anyway, someone who's studied SEC football for a long time and hosted the show, an SEC caliber starting quarterback. So do you think that... Oregon fans should overall feel good about that? Or how do you think that coaching staffs just kind of in the broad picture and you can apply it to Oregon as much as you can, but how much do you think they should factor in a transfer who might be better than a young guy who will then be missing out on chances to develop within the program? Knowing the kind of person Bo Nix is and that family, and it's a package deal. 
It's a package deal. When you get Bo Nix, you get the family too. I, I just have a hard time believing that they would have separated themselves just because they left Auburn. I, I don't see them going to a scenario where he wasn't promised a legitimate shot to start. And so if Bo Nix does not start, I, I would be shocked. Uh, I, I would be absolutely shocked. If I was an Oregon person, and, and I really don't want this to sound like, you know, I, the cynical Auburn guy talking about the, the quarterback that he used to cover. But if I was an Oregon person, I would be most concerned with asking the question of, is it actually going to be a battle or is it all for show and it's Bo Nix's job? That's, that's the thing I would be most concerned about. That's the way that a lot of fans are looking at the situation. I would tend to lean towards... It's not an actual competition, and I mean, it might be a semblance of one, but whether or not it is a legitimate one, that seems a little bit unlikely because a player of Bo Nix's caliber who was a big-time high school recruit and started for three years in the SEC, then you consider we have to go play a road SEC game. It's neutral site, neutral site in Atlanta in against Atlanta. Georgia to right. start the year. I think all of that, plus the prior relationship with our offensive coordinator, Kenning Dillingham, is factoring into who's going to be Oregon's starting quarterback. And Nick certainly has a built-in advantage there. How much do you think that relationship with Dillingham played a part? He was, of course, at Auburn for a year for Bo Nix's best statistical year of the three that he spent down there with the Tigers. Do you think if Dillingham had stayed at Florida State that Nix would have still decided to leave Auburn and maybe gone and become a Seminole? Um. Uh, you know, Dillingham wasn't really a talking point when he was at Auburn because that was when, I mean, man, every year was like, who's calling plays at Auburn? And so one year, Gus Malzahn would have been like, yes, I'm calling plays. And then, you know, the Auburn fan base would get upset and say, hey, he needs to take a step back and actually hire people and let them do his job. So then he would go into the offseason and say, I'm going to take more of a CEO role. Well, Dillingham, and then he would go back and forth, back and forth. Snip, snap, snip, snap. But I, I think um, Dillingham was one where Malzahn was calling plays. So Dillingham yeah. did not have a whole lot to do with the offense that season. And so he really just wasn't talked about. And so this relationship between Knicks and Dillingham wasn't really something a whole lot of people noticed if it was there. Um, I, bet, I bet NIL had a big reason why he picked Oregon. I, I I don't think it had much to do really? with relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't, once again, this is not a bad thing, but no, it's, a, it's a reality. Yeah. I mean, Nick's it's part of it. Nick's has, he was the best at capitalizing on NIL of any athlete. I think in the sec, definitely at Auburn. Cause I, you know, I, I cover Auburn way closer than the rest of the league, but I mean, literally at 1201, the day it became legal, he posted a Milo's deal. And then a few days later, it was, you know, it was Bojangles and he did a deal with Subway. I mean, the, the dude was all over the place. And, and I, you know, we'll never know how much money he made, but the dude was launching NFTs and he was really the only Auburn player doing that. And he was doing all of that when I'm trying to, you know, get in there and, and pay some of these dudes to come on my show. And, and I eventually did. But with Knicks, it seemed to be like there was a different gatekeeping situation than everyone else. And then players, I think, got a little upset about it. Then they just kind of backed off. And now, you know, Auburn has the conglomerate now with, with NIL to kind of open things up. But as far as, as Knicks capitalizing on NIL, I, I'm sure, I'm sure Nike had a huge part of this. I'm, I'm sure of it. 
And so it, I can't wait to see, you know, what kind of commercials he pops up in. Yeah, it, it's hard to imagine that that would just wouldn't be a factor yeah. at all. I didn't know about the the NIL stuff at 1201 right after it it became legal. And Oregon was also, I think, the first school in the country to set up sort of a, a, a resource basically on, on campus for students to go and explore NIL opportunities. So they've been very open, and I think that that's a smart thing to do or else you'll just kind of get left behind in – the, the recruiting trip on the recruiting trail and also as your shirt indicates there in the transfer portal he's wearing a portal season shirt for those of you that are listening on, on podcasts here so I want to ask you more about about why he came to Oregon but first I want to tell you all about built bar I actually kind of forgot to have dinner the other night and guess what a built bar got me through it you know why they have 17 grams of protein how many there you go show it to the people Zach what flavor is that which one this is salted caramel, one of my favorites. Oof. Oof, I haven't had that one, actually. I'm a mint brownie, peanut butter brownie sort of guy, but I love that you've got the salted caramel on hand. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs. These are just absolutely fantastic. If you look up at the clock one day and realize, boy, I forgot to have dinner. I don't want to go through. I don't want to order something that's just going to sit in my stomach, keep me up. Just have a built Bar. You'll be good to go. 17 grams of protein is a lot. Gets me going on the golf course and keeps me through an entire round as many of you know go to built.com use promo code lock 15 and get 15 percent off your order use promo code lock 15 for 15 percent off at built.com march madness is right around the corner if you want to win your office pool you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the locked on college basketball podcast Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So you, you went right to NIL there, Zach, but do you think there were other factors that drove Bo Nix to come to Oregon? Maybe that he wouldn't go up against as stiff competition in the Pac-12 as he would in the SEC. And he, he seems, at least to me, you can correct me if I'm wrong, he seems like a guy who wants to be able to win at, at a high level and be at a place where he can do that. And I think that from a schedule standpoint, Oregon has an easier path to the playoff than Auburn would. And when you just look at the teams they have to go through and the record that, you know, we've seen in the past is yeah. required to get to college football playoff. Do you think that that component of it played a factor in his decision? Possibly. Um, I, I think that's certainly possible for sure. You know, there, I think there was probably a list of things that Bo Nix and his family needed to, to, you know, land wherever his new home would be. And, you know, there's this kind of mysterious meeting that happened in, in Coach Brian Harson, Auburn head coach Brian Harson's office before Bo Nix announced that he was in the portals. Apparently between Bo Nix, Bo Nix's father, Pat Nix, who played quarterback at Auburn. Right. And uh, he, he's a local, he's a high school coach of a, a really big program in the state, about 45. Yeah, the Nix family Auburn. name is big down there. Yeah, it, it's big. Um, but it was the two of them and Coach Harson, and apparently a list of demands were were read, and Brian Harson's like no, and so Nick's entered the transfer portal. So whatever those demands were, Spencer, Oregon probably probably agreed to them. 
I don't know what it was. I'm sure it was playing time. I'm sure it had to do with scheme, maybe NIL access, um, maybe say so as far as the roster. I, I don't know. I don't know what all went down. But um, that is something that's been referred to a lot um, in, in the few weeks after Knicks entered the portal. And so whatever was on that list is probably why I picked Oregon. The existence of that meeting that you that just ridiculous, right? I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous, but it, it's all, it, it's all true. Like, I mean, yeah, but like that—that's confirmed. That's not speculation, right? Yeah, right. So, the the fact that that took place, I think, sort of solidifies something that I've been talking about this week here on Locked On Ducks, which is, you know, and I had Mike Black of the Ducks and Dogs podcast, and he is remarkably cynical about the supposed quarterback battle and I tend to lean in his direction I'm not quite a, as much of a hard line yeah. when it comes to you know Bonix is going to be a starter no, no matter what but if that meeting took place and, and you said that that has been a, a confirmed deal everyone knows that it happened the, I, the top I, Auburn breaking news people were all over yeah. okay so if that's the case then I don't see how Bo Nix would go anywhere where he's not basically guaranteed the starting quarterback job, right? Yeah, and that's kind of what I was hinting at earlier. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I think so. And that was kind of the thing when he got to Auburn was he came in as a true freshman the same time as a four-star. Um, his name's Joey Gatewood, and he's floated all over the place now. He went up to Kentucky, and now he's back with Gus Malzahn at UCF playing receiver, but he was a hot shot at the time. And the big question was like, okay, Whoever wins is either going to be redshirt freshman Joey Gatewood, who's been in Gus's system for a little bit, or it's going to be Bo Nix. And it didn't really ever seem like a competition. And, uh, you know, I, 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 just, I just don't think he would go somewhere where he wasn't guaranteed the job. Yeah, also worthy of note, the, the, the reason that that news was coming out of Oregon spring practice was that I think the third spring practice, Ty Thompson took the, the first reps as the quarterback. And then a couple of days later, head coach Dan Lanning said, yeah, we don't actually have a depth chart right now. We're still trying to figure that sort of stuff out, which makes sense because they've you know, done their research about these players, but they haven't seen them in person yet. And guys have to that's what that's what spring football is all about, is putting together a, a two and three deep. If no if you're a coaching staff the other day, I saw that Bo Nix took the, the first team reps at quarterback. So I think that was a little bit more just I, I think it was noteworthy because it was unexpected, but. At the end of the day, it seems to be playing itself out in the way that, that we're talking about here. So let, let's operate under the assumption here that Bo Nix will be Oregon's starter. And he has two years of eligibility left. Just real quick, Zach, I've heard that he's probably just going to use one and then go to the NFL. Would that be your expectation? I don't know if he's good enough to go to the NFL. Well, um, a lot of guys go to the NFL who are not good enough. That's that's true. That's true. No, Bo Nix makes decisions that are calculated. Bo Nix is a really intelligent guy. I, I, I have all the respect in the world for Bo Nix as far as how he handles business. And it goes back to the NIL thing. Bo Nix knows what to do to capitalize on his situation. And there's Bo nothing knows. wrong with that. Um, don't do that. The wrong, <laughs> wrong Bo. It's this guy behind me. But, you know, I, I, I think um, I, I don't think he would go to the NFL if he didn't get good advice to do that um so no I, I i don't think he does i don't think i mean he, he would have to get rid of a lot of bad traits and bad habits that he's had for the last three seasons in the course of one off season and i'm not saying that's not possible it happens but i, I think it would be 
it, it would surprise me. So one one element that I wanted to have you on talk about today is the, the team that is around Bo Nix up at Oregon versus what he had last year in the last couple of years at Auburn. We'll, we'll just focus on on this past season because, you know, teams change so much on, sure. on a year to year basis. Guys leave, guys transfer, coach, coaches change and whatnot. So let's look at 2021 Auburn football under Brian Harson. They got, I believe, 10 games out of Bo Nix before before he got hurt. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so over there, something that that I've heard, and you see it a little bit when you watch some of the tape, is there were moments where Auburn's offensive line was was outmatched compared to the, the defensive line they were going up against, and it wasn't just against one opponent. I mean, there were there were times in that Mississippi State game where they were just not even competitive on, on some snaps. So how would you assess the offensive line that Bo Nix played behind in, in 2021? Because that is, without a doubt, the biggest strength of this Oregon team, and it's a legitimate strength. It's probably the only consistent reason why they won 10 games last year. Yeah, it seems like Oregon's always got a good offensive line. So They have recently. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like that's always the thing. So last year, Auburn's offensive line was, I think, top five in the SEC in regards to pass protection, but they were terrible in run blocking. Atrocious. The fact that Tank Bigsby last year was able to get 1,000 yards is, is incredible. So the pass protection was there. And, and here's one of the bad traits I'm talking about. I don't think it matters how good Oregon's offensive line is and they keep the pocket clean. After three seconds, Bo will run to his right. And, and that's something that I think Auburn's offensive line and pass protection was actually even better than what the analytics said because there would be a clean pocket and Bo Nix would just leave for no reason. And that was something that happened uh, that he developed as a true freshman under Gus Malzahn, and they just never fixed it. And you could tell Brian Harson was working on it with him over the course of last season because it got a little bit better, Spencer, but it wasn't significantly better. So that's one of those things where it's like, he's got to fix that to win at Oregon and to win in the Pac-12 and then to eventually possibly go to the NFL. Like, that's something you have to fix. And so... Obviously, Oregon will probably have a better offensive line than Auburn did last year and this year, but he's got to he's got to stay in the pocket, or it doesn't matter. Yeah, that that is a nasty habit. Another one that we all need to fix is that one where we don't use BetOnline.net, which is our number one source for all your sports betting needs and sports info, all the latest developments, including the Masters this week. Podcasts, reviews for all the different leagues. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. I can't get enough of looking at Masters. I have to restrain myself on Masters bets on there. There is so much juice on the board. It is. It is so fantastic, Zach. I have I have to exert serious self control. One of uh one of my buddies put five hundred on Tiger, so we'll see if to he wins five grand or not. Yeah, to win. Well, that's objectively unwise. Well, there's a uh, lot of not, not there be- to do that, and that's why <laughs> the, the buildings are very high and tall and large in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, that um, that's that is one hundred percent the the situation that that is happening there. The sort of situation the Bo Nix is coming into is one with a, a superior offensive line. I think they, they showed themselves to be prolific a year ago running the football. That's what Mario Cristobal wanted to do. And 
They, they've lost one starter from last year, but they, there were six or seven offensive linemen who played regularly. The offensive line is going to be good. Oregon will be able to run the ball, and he will have at least good to great sometimes pass protection. Whether or not he'll be able to break that nasty habit you're talking about is another matter. But sure. when he does stand in the pocket, one thing that Oregon fans saw last year was an inability for Anthony Brown to consistently get the ball to wide receivers who were, there were a lot of playmakers last year, but it was a lot of check downs to running backs and a lot of check downs to running backs. That was just a, a lot of Anthony Brown's pass completion. So I think Oregon fans understandably want to see a guy who will stand in the pocket and get it downfield before we compare uh, Auburn's weapons last year to what Oregon will have this year. What should Duck fans expect from Bo Nix in that particular area where Brown struggled a season ago, pushing the ball downfield? Well, one thing I want to mention, you mentioned the ability to run the football. I think that's crucial, obviously, for play action. That's a big part of it. Yeah. Bo Nix last year under, yeah, in situations, all right, here it is, play action. He was 64% completion percentage. And... Five touchdowns, zero interceptions. And he, had, according to Pro Football Focus, that's when he was at his best. He had an 80 offensive rating, which is above all the other kind of passing concepts. So that's huge. That is something. And, you know, Auburn had Tank Bixby. So, I mean, that was clearly a threat last right. year. I mean, he's, he's, he has a chance to be a, you know, a first or second round running back taken in the draft next year. So, I mean, he's, he's got something there. As far as down the field, Bo Nix was not great down the field. Um, I'm just kind of looking at some of the numbers for pro football focus, but yeah, stuff 20 yards down the field was not good. That was not good. Um, 37% on passes that went beyond 20 yards. And so not great, not great. Neither of, neither of those completion percentages are what I wanted to hear, what Oregon fans wanted to hear. Now the five touchdowns, no picks off play action is good, but that's 64%. I feel like that should be a little bit higher if you're running the play action game well. And I, I'm hoping that Oregon's, in theory, superior run game is going to help him with that because I feel like that number should be closer to 70. So if you want to feel good about Bo Nix, don't look at the box score because the box score for it is really, really bad. But if you want to feel good about Bo Nix, go watch Auburn's game against Georgia last year. Auburn got killed. And the offensive yards were really, really bad. But if you watch the game and you look at the tape, Bo stood in the pocket better than in most contests against the, an elite Georgia defense. It carried them to a national championship, as we all know. But he was throwing dimes to dudes 15 yards downfield on a rope, beautiful passes, and they consistently dropped it. And, I mean, there were just times where it was like third and 12, and he step up in the pocket, climb the ladder, and hit a dude in stride, and they would just drop it. And so his his completion percentage is better than it actually is. And so I don't know what Oregon's wide receiver room is like, but seriously, uh, Spencer, I think you could do a whole show on it, breaking down what Bo Nix did against Georgia last year. Yeah, so Oregon's receiver room coming into this year – has got some talent. It doesn't have a ton of experience. I think the addition of Chase Coda, a sure-handed receiver from UCLA, is going to be a nice security blanket for him on third downs. I think Chris Hudson can be that as well. Hudson is the the best receiver returning for the Ducks 
who who played the most snaps last year, who saw the most action, and he showed some really really big time potential. I mean, he he made some great catches in the Alamo Bowl in the game against Oregon State. He had a great game and was Anthony Brown's go-to on third down. So I think those are your two most reliable targets. And then you've got Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin, the guys who are known as the skinnies. They're, you know, 6'3, 6'4. I think actually, I think Thornton is 6'5 and Franklin is 6'3, 6'4 on the outside. And they are a little bit thin, but those are going to be sort of your X and Z receivers on the outside who you throw one on one balls to down the field. And that's something Dillingham has talked about a lot, wanting to get guys into one on one situations in space. So, Thinking about the, those big body receivers on the outside, we saw it in glimpses last year where Anthony Brown could drop a back shoulder throw to Devin Williams down the sideline. We did it once every three games, which to this day drives me nuts because it was effective. <laughs> we did sure. Every time we would do it, it would work. Oregon yeah. State, Cal, Ohio State, we did it like a small handful. The fact that I can identify the number of times it happened is telling of the problem. But when you look at those big body receivers who – where highly rated recruits have shown some real potential in the limited college time they've seen, they'll get a real opportunity. How do you feel Nix is capable of getting the ball to them in those one-on-one situations and giving them a chance to make plays? Yeah, I think he's good at the back shoulder stuff. And so the the targets, I don't have numbers to back this up. This is just gut and eye test. But the, the, the targets he was best at connecting with were these bigger body guys that you're talking about. Seth Williams was one of them. He got drafted by the Broncos. And I think he's a practice squad guy now. But consistently put the ball in great spots for 50-50 situations and really some where Seth Williams should have won. And, and you know, the, he didn't always win those as much as he should have. But Bo did a great job as far as placing the ball where it needed to be. And then the other was, um, was Sal Canella, who was a community college guy from Arizona who – transferred to Auburn once he was kind of uh, it was time for him to move up to uh, to division one and he did outstanding converted from a tight end to a wide receiver and I well he may have caught a touchdown against Oregon a few years ago if I recall correct I know Seth Williams did but um but yeah I, I think that's something that um that you need to look at for sure and like the 2019 Iron Bowl he did a great job as far as ball placement to some of these bigger body guys like Sal Canella in the end zone so that seemed to be when he was at his best as far as just kind of putting it up there. And if your wide receivers could high point the football, you could come down with it. Yeah, the skinnies are a question mark on offense for the Ducks, but the the potential ceiling there I, I think is pretty high. The best room in terms of position groups at Oregon right now, aside from offensive line, probably linebacker number two and then tight end actually is number three, Terrence Ferguson, Spencer Webb, Maliki Matavau. You've got Cam McCormick coming back off yet another injury. His career has just been so frustrating to follow because you just feel for the guy and the, yeah, he keeps for, getting yeah, injured. But there, there, are just, there are these high potential players at tight end. So to me as an Oregon fan, it's at least somewhat encouraging to say that or to hear you say that he's capable of getting the ball in one-on-one situations to big body receivers or tight ends who went to wide receiver because Oregon has a plethora of those Webb and Ferguson specifically. So Gus Malzahn did not use the tight end a lot in the passing game. They're on the field a lot, but they blocked downfield or like they stayed in line to block and help. So you didn't see a whole lot of that last year. Brian Harson kind of brings more of a pro style offense to multiple, you know, different kind of things. 
And he kind of made a point to use John Samuel Shanker, who's the name of Auburn's lead tight end in the passing game. And he had, with Bo Nix for the majority of the season, had the best year in the history of Auburn for tight ends, set receiving record and reception record. So the fact that Oregon's got a good tight end room, that bodes very well for Bo Nix. Well, we are certainly hoping so. Last thing here was Zach Blackerby, the host of Locked on Auburn, talking all things Bo Nix today. What do you think Bo Nix can accomplish with Oregon this year? And I'll give you just kind of a rough layout of the roster. The offensive line should be good. Weapons are young and mostly unproven, except for the tight end room. Linebackers are really good. Interior of the defensive line is good. Pass rush, probably going to be a problem. Some new players in the secondary. But I think you've definitely upgraded on the defensive side of the ball in terms of coaching with Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy compared to Tim DeRoyter from last season. So given that the pieces are in place for Oregon to at least be the favorites in the Pac-12 North, what do you think Bo Nix can do this year in Eugene? Uh, I think he can win the Pac-12. Um, I, I think he's able to to do that. He, he'll be one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Um, if he if he's properly supported and can run a scheme that makes sense with his skill set, and I don't think we know enough about Dillingham as a coach to really know if that's going to happen or not. But Yeah, he it, hasn't it, been a full-time play caller before. Yeah, yeah. Is he calling plays this year? Yes. Yes, yeah. he will. So, so that'll be interesting. That'll be super interesting. And, you know, he must have told Bo Nix something that he liked. So I think um, I, I think Bo Nix can be really good. Look, Bo was good against average or bad SEC defenses. It was the Georgias and Bamas. The issue at Auburn is you're judged by how you play against Georgia and Bama. And <laughs> Oregon doesn't have to play that most years. Now, interestingly enough, they got to play Georgia this year. But yeah. Um, you're you're not judged by how you will play in Atlanta. You're judged by how you'll play in Eugene, which I think is a more fair way to to kind of you know treat your quarterback. And so I think I think Oregon's going to like Bo Nix a lot, and I think he's going to win some games this year for you guys. Well, we're we're certainly hoping so, and I can assure you, Zach, that of the people watching this, there are many divided on uh, your former quarterback there, and they're well, they're hoping that, they're, that you're right. I mean, there there are people that have covered Auburn for 30 or and 40 years, and they talk about how they've never, ever seen someone as polarizing as Bo Nix. I don't know what it is. I don't know what well, it is about him, but, I mean, there is just something about this kid where he will split a fan base in a heartbeat. I actually can understand that for, for a few reasons. Number one, he's a five-star recruit, and he started as a true freshman. Oregon fans remember that game back in 2019 unfortunately you see the the newspaper back there no i can't the print is too small anyway so the headline was bo leave it nicks comes in and and wins that game and has you know some solid years as a five-star recruit he's a legacy at the school i think that in and of itself kind of allows for fans to view him differently or feel like they can criticize him more harshly than than a regular player. And I think, you know, as you've mentioned as well, his dad was clearly involved with the the recruiting process and, you know, his playing time there. I, I think all that, when you say he's one of the most divisive players ever, maybe the most for guys who have covered Auburn for the last three or four decades, to me, all those things add up to make some sense. Yeah. And, and there's also the dynamic of like, is he good? I think he is. And then he'll like go and lay an egg against somebody. I mean, have you seen the chart for his passer rating? I, I mean, it's I a roller coaster. Not, 
it's literally every other game up, down, up, down, up. It's, it's crazy. Like it is a crazy, crazy thing. And I think that contributes to all of it because when you're a big time recruit like that, people expect you to have maybe some up, down early, but then after a certain point, you should just be up here all the time. But if you don't get to that level and then you have all the other factors that we've been discussing, I think that's why it, you know, has hit a nerve with some Auburn fans down there. And I think it's already hit a nerve with a lot of Oregon fans and, if his play is inconsistent, I, I I imagine Duck fans will be pretty harsh after they had to watch or after we had to watch Anthony Brown last year go yeah. up and down, up and down. And the up moments were they were there. They were not as numer- they were not as numerous as we would have liked them to have been. But there there were certainly some flashes of solid quarterback play. But then there were stretches where he's thrown the ball directly to a guy in the wrong color jersey and you wonder if he's Jameis Winston needing LASIK to know what color he's he's throwing the ball to you know like that sort of up and down I think that the the outside pressure I wonder if you agree with this I think the outside pressure from Oregon fans can't be as high than what he had at Auburn because he was a legacy there and he was a big-time recruit whereas now Duck fans know that he's you know a capable starting quarterback in college football but has some flaws as well do you think that will will kind of play into his psyche? Because I think that it could be kind of a little bit of a weight off his shoulders that he doesn't have to feel that extra sort of pressure. Yeah, I think that's a good take. I mean, Bo is synonymous. Bo Nix is synonymous with, with Auburn. I mean, there's pictures of him and his dad on the field celebrating. I, I don't mean to bring this up, but the 2010 National Championship, like he's on the field with like the trophy right. and Cam's holding the trophy right next to him. I think that I can't remember who we beat that year, but me but, neither. Yeah. But I mean, so like every time he would do something, it would always go back to like that stupid picture. It's not stupid. It's actually pretty cool. But right. The, the whole like family aspect of it. I mean, the Knicks is are you know, they're, they're powerful folks in, in this part of the country. And so, um, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's, it's a restart. And I think Bo Nix needed that. And I think the Auburn football program needed that. I mean, would Auburn possibly be better if they had Bo Nix going into the season? I think so. I think so. Um, but I, I think it was good for both parties involved. Well, Oregon fans are, are certainly hope that it will be, and we appreciate your insight. Zach Blackerby, host Locked on Auburn. Check him out on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Good to talk to you as always, my man. Yeah, thank you, buddy. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.